it's Sunday morning, and I've been talking last Sunday and this Sunday. I'm going to talk more about the apostasy. Uh, we're in it. It's full-blown right now. Apostasis is the word. A-P-O-S-T-A-S-I-S. That's the word apostasy. It is the word falling away. Well, got to get something right. It's the word falling away. Falling away in Second Thessalonians two and three. The day of the Lord will not come except there come a falling away first. Falling away is one word, apostasis. It is our word apostasy. And apostasy is the construction of the prefix apo, meaning a removal of stasis. Now, stasis is a very interesting word. It's got a lot of connected words to it in the morphemes of Scripture. Morpheme, I've got books on morphemes. Morpheme comes from the word morphe, meaning shape. Well, in the shapes of words, stasis has the word... Okay. Stasis, you've got many words that are connected to this word stasis. You have the word... Stasis means upright... And apo means a removal of uprightness. You also have the word stao, meaning to stand. That's a form of stasis. You have the word staros, which is the word cross. You have the word stirao, which is the word crucify. There's been a removal of crucifying self, removal, a removal of the daily cross, and not only the daily cross, the wooden cross of Christ. When people talk about, when they talk about Christ's death on a wooden cross, they usually don't have any idea what they're talking about. Because if you don't believe in predestination, you don't have any idea what the wooden cross is for. Because the wooden cross, Jesus died on a wooden cross before the foundation of the world in the mind of God, before foundation of the world. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world for his wife, his bride, his church. He didn't die for everybody. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The wife isn't an it. That's not even the word in the original text. If you look in, in your interlinear Bible at that word that they translated it, 
It's the word A-U-T-A-T-A. Anytime you find an ADA on the end of a word or on the one right before the end, if it had ADA new, it is feminine gender. So, he died for her. That's the way it should be translated. Those translators messed up on Ephesians 5.25. It doesn't mean it. Don't call your wife it. She'll whack you in the head with something. <laughs> Jesus didn't die for it. He died for her. He didn't die for anybody else. That's predestination. Ephesians 5.25 is predestination. He died for her, nobody else. Now, we're in the apostasy. There's been a removal. People hate the cross of Christ because their God is their belly. Over there in Philippians, the third chapter. The belly was a Epicurean term. It meant the seat of all sensual desires. And the Epicureans were philosophers. And they said all a man was needed was to fulfill his personal desires. To fulfill his flesh. And that was the only God he needed. Well, the Philippians, there were some people at Philippi. That Paul said, their God was their belly, and for one reason, their mind, their mind was on earthly things, earthly. The mind, mind is the word phroneo, P-H-R-O-N-E-O. It takes a long time to remember these words, but if you look at them a hundred times, you'll get to remember them. Earthly is the word gay, G-E. Gay is the word soil or dirt. The reason people don't like the daily cross, and we live in a day like that today, they want stuff, and they take the Word of God and twist it so they can have the stuff they want, the dirt they want, and everything that you see is dirt. That new suit, that new dress is made out of dirt. Your car, your brand new car is made out of dirt. The gas you put out of it is pumped from the ground is made out of dirt. Your new house is made of dirt. Your diamond ring is dirt under pressure. I've said this a thousand times. Everything is made out of atoms. Everything in the universe is made out of atoms. It depends on the atoms that come together and bond together as whether it's a cow pile out in the field or whether it's a diamond ring on your finger. It's made of the same stuff. And men like stuff. Things they can see and they hate a daily cross. I'm going to talk some this morning about... The Charismatics, I gave the Baptist thunder last week. The Baptists don't really believe the truth anymore. They hate predestination. You can't hardly find any preachers that even deal with it, yet it was Baptist doctrine 150 years ago. Wonderful book here, Southern Baptists and the Doctrines of Election. It'll tell you about all the presidents and what they had to say about it back in the 1850s, 60s, 70s, 80s. This is by Ralph Self. And he lays it down. I've given this to a lot of Baptists. They were founded. The Southern Seminary in Louisville was founded 
on the doctrine of predestination. Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary Fort Worth was founded by B.H. Carroll and every one of those Southern Baptists know that name. B.H. Carroll founded Southwestern on the doctrines of predestination and you won't find that within a hundred miles of Southwestern now. They don't believe it anymore. In fact, you had to sign a statement at Southern Seminary when they organized that if you didn't preach the sovereignty of God and election predestination, that was reason for your termination as a professor there. Now, I'm talking about the charismatics this morning. You talk about mind on earthly things. Their thinking is on earthly, charismatic. And charismatic comes from the word charis. Charis is the word grace. Well, God, they say God has been gracious to them and given them special gifts. And they say those special gifts are the ability to heal, uh, it is the it's positive confession I'm going to address that this morning they say all you have to do is say positive things it will come about and you'll have what you say that is a lie out of hell itself you just if I believe that I would go to Bangladesh or Calcutta, India, where you've got a million people laying in the street starving to death, and I'd tell them, all you have to do is be positive with your mouth, and you'll have a Cadillac in a week. You believe that? What they do is they take the Word of God and twist it to mean what they want it to mean. They don't have any idea what this means. I hope some of them have watched me because they'll see me give them some Greek words. Probably the favorite verse of the Charismatics is 3 John 2. This is so they can get things and stuff. John tells guys, I wish above all things, above all things. That's the cooper right there. Huh? That's the cooper right there. I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper, and be in health even as thy soul prospers. And they think that word prosper is money, and it's not. They think that word health is the physical health of an Olympic athlete, and it's not. That word prosper is the Greek word E-U-O-D-O-O. It is a construction of E-U. You're familiar with that. That means well and you find that on eulogy, E-U-L-O-G-Y. It means well, logos. Logos is the Greek word word. You stand over a dead body in a funeral home and you say a eulogy. You say good words over him and you lie about him and talk about what a great man he was. <laughs> I, I was watching that country, one of those country specials on PBS last night. And they was talking about all the great contributions these country singers gave to the world and 
and talked about Merle Haggard writing one of the greatest songs that's ever been written, Okie from Muskogee, because it crossed over into the pop field and it was all about marijuana and white lightning. And I thought, boy, that's really something. When Merle Haggard stands before God at the judgment, God's going to say, you wrote Okie from Muskogee. You're a great songwriter. We're going to let you into heaven. What, did you ever write anything about God or Jesus or predestination? You got it in for Merle Haggard. I got it in for all the country singers. There's nothing more. There's nothing Christian about that. Or the gospel singers. So, I guess they were trying to sell well say well words over Merle since he's dead and gone. He was a great writer and he was a great singer. If that means anything in eternity, and it doesn't. So you and I all means well, hodos. When you look up hodos, that is a common word. Paul said, I hope to find some of this way. If I find some of this way when I've gone to Corinth, I'm going to tell them about the Lord. There's two ways, a narrow way and a broad way. That's the two ways, broad way. And you have to be in the narrow way. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way. Narrow is the hodos. Narrow is the well hodos. And few there be that find it. Now when you hear somebody quote straight and narrow way. People don't even know what the word narrow is. It's the basic same word as tribulation. You have to be in the tribulation way. The word narrow is the word talibo. And the word tribulation is the word thalipsis. This is the noun. This is the verb. They're basically the same word. So narrow or tribulation is the way. If John is wishing for God's the well way, he's talking about the tribulation way. Because those are the two ways. This has nothing to do with money. Nothing. How in the world can people take the word of God and just rip it apart? Do you think above all things God wishes you to have a lot of money instead of the tribulation? And then health is the word H-U-G-I-A-I-N-O. Hugiano is not our word health. It means uncorrupt word. It's the same word that Paul spoke of in 2 Timothy. Look at 2 Timothy 4. Same word, this word health. 2 Timothy 4, when Paul says to Timothy, he's passing at Ephesus, he says in verse 2, Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. In season means when it's convenient. Out of season means when it's not convenient. Witness anyway. Exhort, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That word hugiano is the same word as sound. Every time Paul uses the word sound doctrine, 
Well, these people are unsound. I said it last week. They're insane. Insane means unsound, demented. It actually has unsoundness of mind. Well, their minds are their minds on earthly things. Unsoundness of mind, incapable of what is regarded as rational conduct. These people are irrational that call themselves charismatics and Pentecostals. I don't make any excuse for that. This makes people mad and angry. So you calling these people, I believe that Pentecostalism, not Pentecost, Pentecostalism is the most dangerous thing that's happened to the church in the last 2,000 years because it's taken the Word of God and corrupted it and twisted it all to pieces. Don't like Pentecostalism. Now, I didn't say I didn't, people say, you said you didn't like Pentecostals. I've never said that. we got people here that used to be Pentecostals, right? Went to Pentecostal churches. Some spake in tongues. Some got involved in faith healing, and after they found out it wasn't true, they pulled out of it. Now, the time will come when they will not endure uncorrupt doctrine. Sound is the word hugiano. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They want to have their ears scratched. This is what happens in the charismatic movement, Pentecostal movement. They want to be told things when you want somebody to tell you things that makes you feel good. Let me tell you, the truth doesn't make you feel good. Death to self, daily cross, self-denial doesn't feel good to the flesh. But once you get freed from the flesh, you feel free. You say, I'm free now. I don't have to fight the world. I'll say the truth to them at any time. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, from the aletheia, taking the cover off. Aletheia. Comes from lanthano, meaning to hide. And when you place the alpha in front of a word, it negates the word, translates aletheia. It means not to hide anything. That's what the truth means. They're covering up the truth by twisting the word of God. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. The word fable is the word muthos. That's the word myth. They have turned their heads away from God's truth, the charismatics. I don't have any use for the charismatic Pentecostal movement. Did y'all know that they're actually moving all over the world? Did you know that? You can go to foreign countries. I mean, there's D back there going, yes. They were missionaries down to Mexico, or down to, I'll get it right in a minute, Ecuador. And they, are, they hold hands with the Roman Catholics out there, don't they? They're part of the Roman Catholic movement. You got them all over Europe. I got people writing me. Uh, the Hussein lady from the Netherlands, from Holland, writes and says they're everywhere over here. They are holding on to the I'll get it in a minute to Catholicism all over the world. They had them up here at TBN. They had priests up here, and they say we're all one happy family. 
And the Roman Catholics believe you got to eat the literal body of Jesus to go to heaven. Don't have time to get in that. Well, I will get into it in a minute. Walking down the aisle and accept Christ is the same thing. Let me go ahead and tell you. It's the same thing as walking down the aisle in the Catholic Church to accept the Eucharist. Where did that come from? It came from the Church of England. Actually, it came from the Roman Catholic Church. Because when Henry VIII, this is a funny thing, this has to do with accept Christ. Henry VIII, when he wanted to divorce Catherine of Aragon because she didn't have a child that could inherit his throne. She had one, but it was a kind of a dingy child. And he, they knew he wasn't going to be able to rule the throne of England. Henry VIII said, I want to divorce Catherine. So he petitioned the Pope at Rome and said, I want to divorce Catherine. Catholic Church don't put their approval on divorce. They said no. The Pope said no. So Henry VIII said, I'll organize my own church. And he called it the Anglican Church. Anglo is the word English. Anglican means English, English church. So he organized the English church. When he did, he kept most of the rituals of the Roman Catholic Church in the Church of England. He kept the guys waving the incense around the priest. He kept the robes and the priest robes. And he kept his own form of the Pope. He called him the Archbishop of Canterbury. And he, the main thing he kept in the Anglican Church, out of the Anglican Church came the Episcopal Church, came the Methodist Church. And some of those guys were converted away from it just like Luther and Zwingli and Calvin were, were converted out of the Catholic Church. Some were converted, some weren't. And one other thing he kept in the, in, the, in the Church of England, he kept the Eucharist. And he, the Eucharist is a round cracker, uh, supposed to... And the Catholics say, they say these magical words over this Eucharist. And they raise the Eucharist up, and they say, Hoc est corpus eum fili. Corpus is the word corpse over the body, and it's supposed to come alive, and it incorporates the body and the blood of Christ into that Eucharist. And then the people walk down the aisle, and they're invited by the priest to walk down the aisle, to kneel down and stick their tongue out. This is what they used to do. Sometimes now they put it in their hand, and they, they do that, don't they? Yeah, they'll put it in their hand. Sometimes some of them want it put on their tongue. And they're supposed to be eating the literal body of Christ. What they're doing is walking down the aisle and accepting Christ. That's just not true. You can't accept Christ. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. That word receive is the word decomai. means to accept. So you can't accept Christ when you're dead in sin. Well, the Methodists brought that to America, and they started their camp meetings in the early 1800s. And what they did, 
they put their spin on this walking down the aisle and accepting the Eucharist. So they built a little fence down at the front of the church where you could walk down there and you get on your knees at the altar and you could whine and cry all night long trying to accept Christ. That was their spin. It finally bled over to the Baptist church and all the other churches. Now everybody's talking about accept Christ as your personal Savior, and it's not true. The natural Sukikos man does not receive spiritual things. When you're dead in sin, you do not D-E-C-H-O-M-A-I is the word receiving in 1 Corinthians 2.14. Dec is the word ten in the Greek. And decomai, which is that word receive, means to reach out the ten fingers and accept an offer that's been given. Dead men do not accept Christ or anything else spiritual. I know I put this on the board so many times. Now, the charismatic movement is talking, it's a money gospel is all it is. When Jesus said, Bless you to ye when men shall hate you, when they separate from your company. What John is wishing for guys is the well way it's now and it's full of tribulation and Jesus said I am the way there's two ways if you're not in the tribulation way somewhere in your life and you don't what is the tribulation way when you tell people that Christmas is Christ's mass it's eating the human flesh the body of Christ you tell them that they're going to get angry at you and they're going to crucify you figuratively start having nothing to do with you now just to show you what these charismatics do I want to get into a subject they got this positive confession they got this from a man named E.W. Kenyon I've got a book by about Mr. Kenyon in the 1930s he went to India and he found some gurus over there. That means master or teacher. And he found some gurus and they said that everything in the universe had positive and negative vibrations. You can go to India and find a guru and they'll tell you to lay down on this slab or on this, it'll have crystals all in this blanket type thing and if you lay down on it the positive through a little ceremony they do the positive vibrations from these crystals will heal you and make you well do you believe that I don't think so so Mr. Kenyon brought this to America and integrated it into the Pentecostal movement in fact, the man that took got a hold of it was a man named Kenneth Hagen. Kenneth Hagen died. He believed in faith healing. He died of a heart disease here just a couple years ago. And his son, Kenneth Hagen Jr., runs Hagen Institute out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. There are two main systems that operate out of Tulsa. 
Oral Roberts University and his healing system and Kenneth Hagin. Kenneth Hagin is called the father of the positive confession movement. Hagin. And he's the guy that brought this in. Oral Roberts is the guy that got a hold of it and propagated it throughout all these people. One of the men he propagated it to was a man named Kenneth Copeland. And Kenneth Copeland was his personal pilot before he got famous with his own ministry. He flew all of us around. Kenneth Copeland got, he got all these people involved in it. He got Creflo Dollar. Creflo Dollar. He got Jesse Duplantis. He got Rod Parsley. He got uh, Fred Price. Either directly or indirectly got all these people involved. And Rod Parsley brought in T.D. Jakes. The father of this movement now is Kenneth Copeland. He's the daddy of it all since Kenneth Hagin died. Kenneth Hagin Jr. wasn't smart enough. Copeland is a slick, slick con man. He really, what they do is they're praying. It's a brainwashing thing. If you say something over and over and over again, enough times to people, if you say it for a decade or two, everybody began to believe it until Billy Graham started preaching Accept Christ, which is not true, and the sinner's prayer only two men before Graham there were actually many of them, but two major men before Graham preached this, and that were on an international scale. One was Billy Sunday. He was a showman. He got up in the pulpit and picked up chairs and, and pointed at the audience and says, uh, it's not Hades, it's H-E-double-L hell. He was a stupid man. Very famous in the early 1900s. Known all over the world. And you had, you had men back in the 1800s. Charles Finney. Finney. These guys propagated this doctrine more than anyone else except Christ and sinner's prayer. But it was a brainwashing type of thing. The Bible doesn't teach that for salvation. The Bible teaches believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe and faith are basically the same word. Faith is death to self. We've taught that. Death to self. That doesn't say I get to believe what I want and I'll get it. Believe is the verb form. Pistus or pistuo, P-I-S-T-E-U-O. And faith is the word P-I-S-T-I-S. This is the Greek. P-I-S-T is the stem of the word. That's the basis of what the word's about. The word endings are changed depending on the character of the word. Now, I want us to read here a verse that these guys, these people over here, E.W. Kenyon got it in here.
Copeland picked it up from Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts was preaching this positive confession. All you have to do is say it with your mouth. Here's one of their one of their key verses to this doctrine. And what they did is twisted it all to pieces. Go to Romans, the fourth chapter. This is talking about Abraham. What I'm going to do, I'm going to show you what you have to do in studying a word to find out what it means. All right, Romans 4. Talking about the faith of Abraham in verse 16. Therefore, speaking of salvation or the promise, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Then they start in verse 17, the Charismatics do, and tear it all to pieces. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. God said that to Abraham over in Genesis the 17th chapter. Even God, God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Now what they do is isolate calling things that be not as though they were. And they say that means that you can say something with your mouth and the vibrations will cause this to create your own universe. You can say, and I say this often, you can say, Cadillac, Cadillac, I get a Cadillac, come on, Cadillac. You can actually say that over and over again and be positive about it, and eventually you'll have a Cadillac. Or you can say, Mercedes, Mercedes, and I want, and I want gold trim on the door handles, and I want a gold grill in it. You can stipulate that, and you can get it. Do y'all know that that's what they say up here at TBN? You do know that, don't you? Have you? Has anybody heard them say that? That's one of their doctrines. You can say it, and uh, the guy over there in Arkansas, I didn't think of his name, never can. Uh, he said, if you say, if you do that, I'll just die. If you keep saying, I'll just die, you'll finally die. If you say it enough times. Charles. Huh? Charles. Charles Capps. Yeah, Charles Capps was a moron. He died a while back. I wonder why do these guys die of heart disease and old Roberts died of pneumonia? Why didn't he call in Jesse Duplantis and tell him to heal him? All right, here's... Now I want you to notice. God quickens the dead and calls things that be not. Something that is not... I want to verify this to you. Is not means to be dead. This is talking about, and you're going to find this out in the next verse, it's talking about the dead loins of Abraham. When God promised Abraham, you're going to have a son. His name, he actually was called Abram. He wasn't changed to Abraham until the 17th chapter of Genesis. Abraham. Abraham 
means proud father. Abraham means father. Ab means father. Means father of many nations. So from the dead loins of Abraham, Abraham was 99 years old when God came to him. Sarah was 89 years old when God says, next year at 100 years old, you're going to have a son. And at 89 years old, Sarah's going to have a son at 90. She's going to be 90. And the problem was the dead womb of Sarah of Sarah and the dead loins of Abraham, God is going to raise a son from this dead area, from their dead womb, dead loins. He's going to raise a son and call him Isaac. Isaac. Now, it was so ridiculous that when God said... Abraham, you're going to have a son. Sarah heard that and she laughed at God's statement. So that's why they called him Isaac, which means laughter or to laugh. And God said, you laughed when you heard me say that because you were too old to have children. If you raise somebody from the dead, what is that called? resurrection and the Bible says that the gospel is the resurrection when the Bible says let me show you something before we go any further go over to Galatians I, I want you to read it Galatians the third chapter Galatians the third chapter Verse 8, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen, the Gentiles, through faith, preached before the gospel to Abraham. If the gospel's the resurrection, how did God preach the gospel to Abraham? He told him, you're going to have a son from the dead. I'm going to quicken your wife's womb. I'm going to quicken. You didn't have any seed or sperm anymore. She doesn't ovulate anymore. But you're going to have a son. <laughs> well, what a miraculous thing. And Abraham believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. He said, okay, you can do anything, God. Now, I want to show you something. I want to go ahead and read that, read into that next verse. Go back over here to Romans 4. God called things that be not. Now, let me show you something else about the Greek. God quickeneth the dead. Quicken, Z-O-O-P-O-I-E-O. Zumpa'eo comes from zoo or zoon. You go to a zoo to see living animals. Zoon and po'eo means to make 
alive. That's the word quicken. So God quickens the dead, and then it says and. And is the word chi. It can also be translated even. Or that is to say, that is to say. God quickens the dead, chi, even, even calleth those things that be not. Something that was not. This is a real common term all through the Old Testament. Something that is not is something that was dead. So, God calls things that be not, even quickening, quickening even, calling things that be not as though they were. And then he tells you what calling things that be not in the next verse. Who against hope. God had told Abraham in the 15th chapter of Genesis before he made a covenant with him, you're going to have a son, he's going to come out of your own loins. Eliezer was his Syrian household servant, but God says it will not come out of the loins of Eliezer. It'll come out of your own loins, and you're told to have children, but you will have. That's why every time the Bible says, in Isaac... I'll get it in a minute. In Isaac, and the Bible says this several times, shall thy seed be called. Kaleo. Anytime the New Testament says we're called in Isaac, Kaleo. And at Kaleo, ecclesia is the word church. So in Isaac, in the resurrection, the resurrection is the gospel according to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. So we are called in the resurrection, aren't we? And every time the resurrection is mentioned but one time, it's the word anastasis. When Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life in John 11, the word is feminine gender. That's because the church is feminine. It's the wife, the bride of Christ. It's not talking about Jesus' resurrection. When you see the word resurrection, majority of the time, it's feminine gender. It's talking about us dying daily and resurrecting from the dead daily. We're called in Isaac, literally as it was called in Jacob, his son. But we're called in Isaac because we're called in the resurrection from the dead. He makes us alive in Christ. Now, now look at verse, let's finish reading verse 18. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. They had never had a son before. When Sarah said, you need to go into Hagar, my handmaiden, and have a son by her because I'm too old to have kids. I know God's promised this, but I'm too old. So he goes into Hagar and she has Ishmael to Abraham. 
God says, that doesn't count. That's not the one I promised. If you look at the fourth chapter of Galatians, the Bible says one is the son of promise and the other is by the law. That was Hagar's son. And and God says, cast out Hagar and her son. They're not partakers of the promise. So Abraham has Sarah. Sarah has a son. And that's resurrecting from the dead. Let's finish reading here. Who against hope believed in hope that he, Abraham, might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. That's spoken over and over again. And the seed, the Bible says in Luke, the third, uh, the eighth chapter, the seed is the word of God. That's another thing they talk about. They say, Mail in your seed faith and you'll get lots of money back. You'll get a hundredfold back if you send your seed faith. There's only one problem with the word seed. It's the word sporos. When you spore seed, farmers will go out and have it in a sack and they'll scatter it. It's, it is a form of the word sperma or sperm and sperm sperma is masculine gender so if they're talking about planting seed faith they're going to have to be planting something besides money because money is not doesn't have a gender well they'd probably say well, George Washington's on it and he was a male that would be their excuse Anyway, let's look at verse 19. This will tell you exactly. And being not weak in faith, Abraham considered not his own body now dead. Couldn't have children. It's not possible. When he was a hundred years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. It's talking about resurrecting from the dead. It's not talking about Cadillac, Cadillac, I get a Cadillac. You can isolate any verse in there and say whatever you want it to mean and say it means that and it don't mean it. But I love this verse 20. And Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Stagger is unbelief, isn't it? When you call it that, when you call stagger, let me erase some of this. Doesn't it say he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief? So therefore, stagger would equal unbelief, wouldn't it? Somebody tell me. Yes. Wouldn't stagger equal unbelief? equals unbelief. Now, without defining these words, you're not going to have any idea what that means. But when I get through defining the word, you go, oh! Stagger is the word diacrino. Diacrino equals unbelief is the word A, P, I, S, T, I, 
You see that? Pistis is the word faith. The alpha primitive negates the word and gives an opposite meaning. It means no faith. So wherever you find diacrino, it's going to mean no faith, isn't it? Wouldn't it? Does this make sense? All right. Diacrino comes from dia and crino. Dia means a channel or a method of judging. So when you stagger, everywhere we find diacrino is going to be you become the channel of judging or you discriminate. You dis discrimination means to decide what's right and wrong instead of going by God's word. So diacrino is the same word as stagger. That takes us over to James, the first chapter. Let's look at James, the first chapter. Let me finish reading that verse, though. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. He had faith. He didn't have opistus. He had pistis. Giving glory to God. Now look here at James, the first chapter. You can't just leave the context of Scripture and say it means whatever you want it to mean. Now, people use this James, the first chapter, and they'll try to make it mean something it don't mean. If you will notice, in James, the first chapter, he's talking about fire and trials that you have to go through and persecution and tribulation. That's what he's talking about. Now, look at verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse. Diverse is our word, diverse. Various kinds of temptations. Every time you find the word temptation, it is the word parasmos. P-E-I-R-A-S-M-O-S. It's the same word as try. <coughs> Think it not strange over there in First Peter 4 and 12. Think it not strange. Strange is... Knizzo. This is the word strange. X-E-N-I-Z-O. Knizzo is a form of X-E-N-O-S, which is the word stranger, means an occasional guest. Don't think it's an occasional guest concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. That word is parasmos. That's not an occasional guest. That's a requirement in every believer's life that you go through fire and trials. That's going to come about by taking a stand for truth. You're going to make enemies. You're supposed to make enemies. If you're friends with the world, you're an enemy of God. 
Woe unto you when you're popular. That's what Luke 6.26 says. Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. If you're a popular singer, if you're a popular mogul of some business, if you're a popular anything, performer, sportsman, business person, realtor, insurance agent, and you have to be popular to get a lot of business, don't you? You do. If you take a stand, people ain't going to like you for that. So, let's finish reading this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various kinds of temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. You want to learn to be patient? Pray, God, try my faith and put me in the fire. You wouldn't pray that your fire would go away, would you? If you pray that your fire will go away, the trying of your faith is more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried by fire in First Peter 1 and 7. If the trying of your faith is more precious than gold, if you pray that your if you pray that your fire will go away, that's like praying, oh, let's get together and pray that my bank will go belly up and go bankrupt and I'll lose everything I got, okay? It's more precious than gold in the bank. It makes you where you can handle life. So he's talking about trials, isn't he? Isn't that what he's talking about? And let it happen. Let patience have its perfect work, its teleos work. T-E-L-E-I-O-S. That's the word perfect. It means mature. You'll become mature through the fire, but you won't if the fire stops. Has anybody ever noticed older people, the fire that you went through years ago didn't hurt you as bad as you thought it would. All it did was made you who you were today. Ever noticed that? I thought I was going to die in 1967, 68, 69, and 70. I thought I'm going I totally out of my mind. And I was. I was full of me. I was full of, full of distributing fortunes wanting my way. Now, so we're talking about fire and trials, aren't we? And let it happen. Don't pray it'll go away. That ye may be perfect, teleos, and entire, needing nothing. <coughs> you'll come to a place through the fire, you'll realize you don't need the things you thought you needed. Then it says, if any man lack wisdom, wisdom for what? Get through the fire? Not, if anybody lacks wisdom to make him a, a good head of a company, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the fire and the trials in your life, isn't it? Is that hard to understand? It's not, is it? Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. We're talking about being liberal in the gifts of God to get you through the fire. We're not talking about literal things. And upbraideth not. It means to reproach. He's not going to reproach you for asking for spiritual things to get you through the fire. And by the way, that word ask, I tell, was a conditional word. 
You have to be dying to self. I don't even have time to go on to ask. I tell, oh, we receive the things that we ask. If we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing, what's pleasing to God is death to self. So you have to be dying to self to ever ask anything of God to get you through the fire. That's what the whole context of this is. And it shall be given him. But him that let him ask in death to self in faith, nothing wavering. Dear Crino, don't discriminate when you, well, I think this is what I need to get through the fire, Lord. He says, I know what you need. You crucify self. I'll do the answering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven of the wind and tossed. If you just start deciding and you become the judge, the greeno, you become the channel of judging, don't think you'll ever get anything from God concerning the fiery trials of life. People just go off and leave the context here and say, you can ask God for whatever you want. It's, it's about getting through the fire. Has anybody gone through fire here? How about everybody? And let, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. If you are diacrino, staggering, you're, it's unbelief. Because you're deciding what you need and not what God wants you to have. Now, this takes us to another verse that's one of the favorite verses of the Pentecostals and Charismatics. It's over in Mark, the 11th chapter. I'm going to give those people a fit through this series. I have done, did one series on the Charismatics about 8 or 10 years ago. I covered everything that they corrupt in the Word of God. Now let's, we're still in this word, diacrino. That means that you decide what's good and what's not. Crino is the word judge. It means to decide. Guilt or innocent. Or what is right and what is wrong. That's what it means. Dia means you become the channel. Crino is the word judge. When the Bible says judge not that you be not judged, what it's saying is don't you decide who's guilty or who's in it and what's right or wrong. You judge righteous judgment, judge God's judgment. And that's what John seven twenty four says. Look not at the appearance, outward appearance, judge righteous judgment. Say this is what God said. What's amazing, you can tell people what God said, they, you shouldn't judge. Well, you're judging right now, calling those people innocent. Now, let's go over to Mark 11. I haven't finished with calling things that be not. I wanted to read a whole bunch of verses out of the Old Testament where the Bible says so-and-so was not. That means he was dead. All through the Old Testament. When Joseph was sold into bondage, his brothers didn't know that he was alive. 
and they were standing there talking to him. Joseph, it's 20 years later, he's probably got an Egyptian beard and he's got one of those cobra crowns on his head because he was second in charge of Egypt. And he was speaking to his brothers through an interpreter and they didn't know it was him. <laughs> That's amazing. And he said, you're all spies. Come over here to spy out Egypt. He didn't believe that. He knew who they were. They were his brothers. He wanted to know, are you repentant for what you've done? But he makes a long process of this. And they stood before him. And he said, how many sons are there? They said, well, ten of us have come. And our youngest brother is at home. And one is not. They thought Joseph was probably dead. And they're talking to him through an interpreter. <laughs> That's one of the ironies of God. You're going, wow. They're talking to him. They don't even know who he is. Now, look over here in Mark. We're still talking about Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief because God says you're going to have a son and you can't have a son. Stagger is unbelief. Every time you find the word decreno, it's unbelief. It's because you decide what's right and wrong. You decide what's guilty and innocent. Now, look here in Mark, the 11th chapter. If you don't know something about the culture, which I doubt if any charismatics knew anything about the culture of the Jews. I never heard them say, say anything about their culture. It takes more than just learning the Greek and the Hebrew. Get as many books as you can. I always stop at garage sales and I ask if they got books. And I look through and see if they got anything on the customs of the Jews, the culture of the Jews. Four of the best books you can get are written by Alfred Edersheim. I've got some of them up here. Uh, he's got one called Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. Excellent book. I got one up here and I got one at home. When books are my favorites, I keep them in both places. I got two sets of McClinic and Strong at home. I got one upstairs and one downstairs. When I want to read something, I don't want to run upstairs or run downstairs to get it. And I use these constantly. And Edersheim, this is a hard book to read. The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. The best way to study it is open up the index and look in the back and look up a subject then turn over to that subject, that page, and read a couple of pages before and a couple of pages after. And when you do that several years, you, it's got so many kings and so many herods and so, many, so much history in it, it's hard to just pick it up and read it. But when you do it the way I'm talking about, looking at the index, you'll find these things. And he's got one called... Uh, sketches of the Jewish social life. Uh, I got one up here, I think. But that is the everyday life of the Jews. He'll tell you what they did, how they built their houses. What? Why is it important to know how they built their houses? Well, if you're in, Matthew, in Mark, the second chapter, there's a man that's sick of the palsy, and there's four of them that take him up on the housetop 
upon the housetop, they had flat roofs. They made them flat, and they had a staircase going up the side of the house, and they had flat roofs so they could put out their figs and dry their wheat or corn or whatever they wanted to dry on the roof. And they had these uh, sections of plates up there, so they brought uh, this man born of four, and they brought him, put him, took him up on the housetop, pulled those those plates out, and took him down through the roof to see Jesus. So in sketches of the Jewish social life, they'll tell you how they built their houses. That's important. They didn't build a house like this and then take him through the roof. <laughs> how they don't get him down through a roof like that? That's the way we build houses. Some of them. Huh? Some of them. Some of them, yeah. There's a few flat roofed houses. <laughs> All right. Now, go over here to Mark 11. You've got to know something about culture to understand this. They go to, they go to verse 23. This is where the Charismatics go to. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea. What in the world is that talking about? They say that's talking about a mountain of debt. You can look at this mountain of debt. You look at this mountain of problems you got with your family, and God will remove it. That's so dumb. It's just dumb. This ain't talking about a dirt pile either. Just, it's crazy. A mountain was the capital city of an empire. Where do you get that? You can go over here to the McClinican Strong and look up Mount, M-O-U-N-T. Get about halfway through that. In fact, Mount or Mountain, they'll have Mount in there or Mountain. Heavens and horns all have basically the same meaning. The Bible speaks of four horns at the very end of Zechariah, the first chapter. Zechariah 1. It'll say four horns carried Israel into captivity. What are the four horns that carried Israel away? Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Put them in subjection. When you look up heavens in McClinic and Strong, the first thing it will tell you is governments are ruling people. Israel was called the heavens or kingdom of heaven because God was their king and short for that was heavens. And when there's new heavens and new earth, I don't have time to go into it. It's talking about Israel was the heavens in the Old Testament. It's the ruling class. Earth was the rule. You look up heaven 
And at the end of the article, look, it'll have heaven and earth. It'll tell you the ruling class and the rule. So whenever you're in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. They'll be the rulers of the earth or the lower class people. The lower class people would be the sinners. And we rule them with a rod of, the Bible says, we rule them with a scepter of righteousness. That's Hebrews 1 and 8. Righteousness is, that's not the normal word for righteous. Righteous is the word D-I-K-A-I-O-S-U-N-E. That's the common word righteousness. It comes from D-K, which means right. Get the word D-K-I-O, which means to justify or declare innocent. But that word in Hebrews 1 and 8 is not this word. That word is the word, it comes from the word, it's the word euthus, or euthatos. It is a construction of you, E-U, meaning well, we said that a while ago, E-U antitheme. Tithomai means to level. This means a well leveling. When you bow to the will of God, that's how you rule people. Tell people the truth. Look at them in the eye and tell them the truth. I had a guy who was in real estate. I was down here at Ace Hardware one day. And I knew the guy very well. He was in my office at one time. And my real estate office he was one of us and I was in back of Ace Hardware and he said hey Brown I listen to you on radio how in the hell do you learn all that stuff I said well Bill I don't learn it in hell I'll tell you what I do I just picked up where he left off I said I don't learn it in hell what I do is I study all night and all day and where I learn that and he thought he was going to get by with that so I waited till he walked up to the front, got him right in the front of the counter from those checkers, started talking about Jesus and God and the Lord, and he just wanted to crawl under something. I'm thinking, you know I ain't going to let you get by with that, and I won't. And that's how you rule people with a scepter of righteousness, and he wanted to get out of there. Had another real estate agent cussing in front of me one time. I said, well... He said, I feel real good. I said, well, you must have Jesus in your heart. And he started letting out a string of cuss words. I said, well, I can tell you don't have Jesus in your heart by what's coming out of your mouth. Because of the abundance of heart, the mouth speaks. He said, I've got to leave. That's how you rule people with the word of God. And we are the heavens. Let me read this to you one more time. This is out of McClinic and Strong. That... That's why these are such a treasure if you have them. Look up everything. Listen to this. In symbolical language of Scripture, if the allegory or figurative representation is taken from the heavens, the luminaries denote the governing body. He's saying the heavens are the governing body of the world. That's what they'll say if you look up heavens. The first thing it'll talk about, political rule. Then he says, the luminaries denote the governing body. If it's from an animal, the head or the horns. A head of an empire was a capital city. 
if you don't know these things, how are you going to properly interpret the scripture? And in this case, the capital city or the residence of a governor. So, so when we're talking about heavens, mount, and horns, they're the same. It, they're just synonyms. When David says, Lord, by thy favor thou hast made my mountain to stand strong in Psalms 30 and 7, he means to express the stability of his kingdom. In like manner, the kingdom of the Messiah is described as the figure of a mountain in Isaiah 2 and 2. Boy, I could go into that and speak a half a day on it. Because it's talking about the mountain of the Lord's house will rise above the mountains of the world. That means the church is going to be found all over the world. And in, in uh, Isaiah 11 and 9, I love that chapter, Daniel 2 and 35 is talking about there's this great stone mountain that, and it, God makes the stone mountain. And then he says the Chaldean monarchy, or Chaldean is another name for Babylon. The Babylonian monarchy is described as a mountain in Jeremiah 2.25. Well, in Jeremiah 2.25, the Bible calls Babylon a mountain of pride, and then it calls her a proud mountain because she was founded on self, let us make us a name. And that's the doctrine that all idolatry comes out of. Babylon was the mother of all idolatry. The doctrine of self, and that's a demon. Demonion, right? The Chaldean monarchy. The Targum illustrates the idea by substituting the word fortress in the former text. In this view, then, a mountain is the symbol of a kingdom or the capital city with its domains of a king which is the same. It's a capital city. So let's get back to Mark 11. Mark 11. If you will say to this capital city, what capital city are they talking about? Peter had a Babylonian attitude in him. He was correcting Jesus for having killed a fruit tree, a fig tree, earlier in this chapter. Let's go back and look at it. You can't just pick this up and say, if you'll say to this mountain, be removed, you'll have whatsoever you say. And pull that out and say, mountain of poverty, be removed. That's not talking about that, knuckleheads. God, I can't believe they would say this stuff. You have to go back to the context. You don't know how to study the Bible. Context is everything. Now, Go back to verse 12. You can't interpret verse 23 without looking at verse 12. But you've got to know some things about what they meant when they said something. Verse 12. And on the morrow, when they come from Bethany, he was hungry. Bethany. Well, let me go on further. And seeing a fig tree afar off, Having leaves. You've got to know something. Having leaves. I'm going to write this down so you can see this. Having leaves. 
if you go in your McClinican Strong and look up fruit, the F volume, look up fruit trees, it will tell you this. <coughs> Having leaves, number one. Now, Jesus is God. You think he knew anything about the season? That there should have been. Why is he going to go over and look for figs? He knows the season. The season of figs is there. Because when it says having leaves, they had pre-season figs. Pre-season figs. And then the pre-season figs were small, sweeter figs. And they came before the leaves came on the tree. Then the leaves came second. And then you had the regular season for figs. But it was against the law to kill a fruit tree in Israel, Deuteronomy 20. Why is Jesus killing it? You think he's breaking the law? Would he do that? No. But if you don't know anything about it, let's read that verse. Seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. He was at, he was at Bethpage or Bethphage. Bethphage. Anytime you find the word Beth, it means house. Bethphage. Is our word Bethpage, and it means house of figs. There was more than one fig tree there. There was bunches of fig trees. But he looked and saw one with leaves, thought I'll go over there and see if it has any figs. Boy, what these charismatics do to this chapter is devastating. So, now let's finish reading. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. There should have been some preseason figs on there. For the time of figs was not yet. What? Time of figs. Time of figs did not mean the time for the figs to be on the tree. It was a term that meant the fig harvest. It meant they hadn't been harvested. There should have been some pre-season figs on that tree. So Jesus curses the tree. Now who is he? He's God, isn't he? Does he know how old the tree is? Now Peter, that wants to correct him, later in the chapter he says, it's a cry of astonishment. Jesus, you killed a fig tree. That's against the law. Where does the Bible say that? Over here in Deuteronomy 20. Look at Deuteronomy 20. See, if you don't know anything about the Old Testament, you're not going to know what this is talking about, are you? How much time do I have, Mike? 13. Ah, man, I ain't going to finish up with this. Very quickly, look at Deuteronomy 13. I, I'll get him in Deuteronomy 20. He said 13. I was thinking 13. <laughs> Deuteronomy 13. i got to read some. I'm going to have to come back and resume this next week. 
Deuteronomy 20, verse 19. When thou shalt besiege a city a long time and making war against it to take it, thou shalt not destroy the trees thereof by forcing an axe against them. And it's not talking about any tree, for thou mayest eat of them. It's talking about fruit trees. It was against the law to cut one down to use it as a battering ram, even if it belonged to the enemy. They said the fig tree was the substance of man's life and shall not cut them down for the tree of the field is man's life to employ them in the siege. Only the trees which you know that be not trees for food, meat means food, thou, thou shalt destroy and cut them down, and thou shalt build bull courts against the city that maketh with war with thee until it be subdued. Now Peter had to have been thinking about this right here. But he was ignoring Leviticus, the 19th chapter. Go back there. Leviticus, the 19th chapter. You see, if you don't know the Old Testament, you can't study Revelation, you can't study their culture, their customs. Now go to the 19th chapter of Leviticus, verse 23. When you shall come into the land and shall have planted all manner of trees for food, then you shall count the fruit thereof as uncircumcised for three years you don't eat of it you pluck the buds off I didn't know what that meant till Mary was out years ago plucking the buds off of the new flowers I said what are you doing she said it'll flourish next year that's why they did it it shall be uncircumcised unto you and it shall not be eaten up for three years but in the fourth year, all the fruit thereof shall be holy to praise the Lord withal. It belonged to God in the fourth year, and you can't eat till the fifth year. And the fifth year shall be, you shall eat of the fruit thereof, that it may yield unto you the increase thereof. I am the Lord your God. You can't eat till the fifth year. Let's go over to Luke, the 17th chapter. Of course, the charismatics are not going to study this. Luke... The seventeenth, uh, the 13th chapter, excuse me. Luke, the 13th chapter. Luke, the 13th. Verse 6. He spake unto also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon, and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years... I come seeking fruit on the fig tree and found none. Cut it to the ground and why cumbereth it the ground? Why is it taking the taking the nutrients out of the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I dig about it and dung it. Then if it bears fruit, it will belong to God well. And if not, then after that, the fifth year, you cut it down. That's why John the Baptist said, these Pharisees are trees with leaves and they have no fruit. Cut it down. A tree that bears not fruit has to be cut down. Now, let's go back to Mark, the 11th chapter. Mark 11. Hmm. 
And Jesus answered, verse 14, said, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And the disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple, began to cast them out that sold and bought in the temple. I couldn't understand why this was right after Jesus cursing the fig tree. Jesus knew how old the fig tree was. He was God. He, he would, no possible way would he have broken the law. It had to be five years or older, older, not bearing fruit. That's when you cut it down. But all Peter could think of was, you killed a fig tree. That was Peter making himself a name. The word name, Shem, means authority. He was arguing with Jesus for killing a fruit tree and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught them, saying, It is written, My house shall be called of all nations a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. i got a lot to say about that. don't have time to say it. The scribes and the chief priests heard it, and sought they might, how they might destroy him. And they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. And the next morning, they take a walk. Here's the point. They went and cleansed the temple in the Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying, now cleanse your temple. Get rid of your opinions. And they want to correct Jesus for killing a fruit tree. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold, e day, you killed a fruit tree. Do you not know that's wrong? The fig tree which thou curses withered away. And Jesus answering said, Have faith in God. I'm God. I know how old the fig tree was. It was not bearing fruit. It was over five years old. I'm God. I don't break the law. So they're fighting with him. And then he says, Verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say to this mountain, anytime you're involved in an opinion, Babylon was the mother of harlots, that in Revelation 17 and 5, founded on let us make us a name. Let us make us a name. Name is the word shim. It means authority. Babylon is called a proud mountain. God says, I'm going to make you a burnt mountain. And it's led all the world astray with this doctrine of coming up with your own name, your own doctrine, your own authority. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter. You got the mountain of Babylon in you. I know how the fig tree was. Don't correct me. I'm God. Verily I send you that whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Every time you find Babylon destroyed, it goes into the sea. In fact, Jeremiah told a young prophet, you take this book of the law, you go up to Babylon, and you tell the people, as you cast it in the Euphrates River, so shall Babylon sink into the sea. You find the swine which were the man in Luke 8, that he was a demoniac, he wasn't filled with the demon, he was filled with self. The swine ran down into the sea. 
when you go to Revelation 18, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. In the verse 2, the Babylon in the Old Testament fell in Jeremiah the 51st chapter, Jeremiah the 50th chapter, in Isaiah the 44th and 45th chapter, in Isaiah the 13th chapter, Babylon is falling. And in Revelation, Babylon is falling into the sea in the 18th chapter and then he says but if you'll say to this mountain be thou removed be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart diacrino doubt you keep on doubting and doubting is unbelief and you're believing yourself staggers unbelief that word doubt means unbelief. It means to become the judge. Peter, you have always got your foot in your mouth. And he did, didn't he? Had his foot in his mouth here. He had the cleanest leg in town. Just kept it up to his knee. But he learned, finally, maybe you've had your foot in your mouth a long time. This has nothing to do with talking to a mountain, a literal mountain. It's talking about Babylon. It's talking about Peter's opinion about a fruit tree because he thinks Jesus did wrong in killing a fig tree. What does that E-day mean? I forgot. E-day is a cry of exclamation, of frustration. E-day, what? You killed a fruit tree. Peter had in mind Deuteronomy 20. He had forgotten about Leviticus 19. Like that man in Luke, the 13th chapter. You don't, you give it to the fifth year. The people could only eat of the fruit in the fifth year. So Jesus had to know how old the tree was to say, let's go find some figs on that tree. They couldn't eat till the fifth year. The first three years, it was circumcised. That meant they picked the buds off. It was uncircumcised, picked the buds off. And then the fourth year, they that belonged to God. And the fifth year, they could eat of it. You think Jesus is not going to abide by the law? He was by the law all the way down to the line till he was nailed to the cross. So they say, if you... Not doubt in your heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Saith is the word lego. Lego is the verb form of logos. You have to say the word of God. You have to homo logeo. Of the same, homo, it's the same word as homosexual, of the same sex, and logos. It means of the same word or to agree with. What word do you say? You have to agree with God. You can't say what you want to say. You say, I have to agree with you. Then you have whatsoever you say. You can't make up what you say in your own mind. These guys come up and isolate if you'll say this mountain, be thou moved, be the castle of the sea. If you got a mountain of debt, you can talk it and get tell it, get out of here. Some of those guys say, just talk to your talk to your pocketbook. Take it out and talk to it. 
Have you heard them say that? They're insane. They're crazy. Kenneth Copeland is a wacko. So is Jesse Duplantis. So is T.D. Jakes. So is Joyce Myers. They're all made of the same cloth. And they preach this positive confession. Say you get what you want by the positive vibrations that come out of your mouth. That is ancient Roman Catholicism. What it is. They, they had a branch of the Roman Catholics. They said, it's called Rosicrucian. And the Rosicrucians said everything was full of vibrations, positive and negative. If you get into that, you're into Hinduism is what you're into. We've actually had people come here that bought those crystals and was selling them to people to heal them. That's Hinduism. That's just not true. I'm out of time. I'm going to have to come back and finish this. I got a lot of things to say about the charismatics. I don't like them. They're cheating people, lying, stealing from the poor. They prey upon people that are poor and needy is who they prey upon. Somebody's having a real hard time. If you really believe that, just go to Calcutta, India. There's a million people laying in the streets in cardboard boxes. Just go over and tell them, be positive and say positive things, and you'll have you a new car in a week. That America's got too much money. We've got everybody fooled over here. Now let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth. Lord, that sets us free. That makes us free. Thank you for your word. Fight our battles for us, Lord. I've got so many enemies that want to destroy me. I'm not going to fight them, Lord. I can't. I don't know how. Not with their unreasonable attitude about the Bible. Lead us to your elect. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I got to get back to calling things that be not.
are you? Yes. I went to the chiropractor the other day. To the choir director. Yeah, to the chiropractor. <laughs> and he had, I told him, I said, my shoulder's out. Because I have a problem. Sometimes I'll sleep. You tell you, let it back out. in? Oh, he put it back in. Oh, I wanted to hit him. It hurts so bad. But that's just the way it is. Well, if your shoulder's out, you got to let it in. I know. And when he lets it back in, it hurts. <laughs> yeah. That's what happens, though, when you get old. The bones just don't want to work. Yeah. That happens to me. I'm getting old. My aches and pains are everywhere. What? <laughs> Hey, you want some gum? Hold on, I'll give y'all some gum. Can y'all hold it a minute? Hold on. We'll get gum. We got lots of gum. Y'all want some gum? There you go. Here you go. You gonna take some to you? I need to get another one so you have enough to take you. Take you sisters, okay? Huh? Oh, hold on a sec. Hey. I'm about a month ago. I'm back. 